It's the Fat AZ Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. We got Vance, who's in a good mood in the front of the Ranger. We have uh, Todd Young on speakerphone. We also have special guest Corey Allen. He's down. <laughs> this one's gonna be a fun one. Uh, I'll hit I'll hit our plugs real quick here. Fatty Z Musky products. Check us out. FattyZMusky.com. Fatty Z Musky products on Facebook. We also uh, brought to you by Todd Young at Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. MCFishingGuides.com and Muddy Creek Fishing Guides on Facebook. But like oh friend Todd Young on Facebook and. Then you can see all the great things that Todd does. Big fish, lots of fish. Have fun. And Corey, you got any plugs to get out there? Uh, Lunge and Lures uh, is probably my biggest friend in the musky industry. My uncle and Chris Piat are like brothers. Um, and they send me cool things and let me name them after comic book characters. So that's fun. St. <laughs> um, Croix Rods, uh, we're on their little dealio. Musky Innovations. Like, you know, kind of a, not even an afterthought there, but they're cool, and I'm on their little thing. And then uh, Zagnut Candy Bars and Mountain Dew Mystic Berry Splash, or whatever that thing is from the movie. Okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Never mind. What? Never seen uh, Ricky Bobby? Never mind. I, I, I have seen. Yeah. Were they Shake and Bake? Yeah, Shake and Bake. Mystic Mountain Berry. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey. I love it. Oh, <laughs> I threw Grandpa's war medals off the bridge. It's cool. Oh, and I mean, I don't know. Like, we guide Muskie down in Tennessee, uh, which I don't know if that's the time or the place to plug that, but that's kind of cool. Do it. Cool. It's what, like, what's your business? They, uh, our guide service is called Tennessee Valley Muskie Authority. Can I tell a funny story about this, actually? It's kind of, it's kind of uh, you might enjoy it. Yes, yeah, please. Yeah, it's part of your plug. Uh, Let's hit it. All right. So, like, when I when I was first trying to think of a guide service name, I was like, I want something that's not, like, what I call, forgive me, Lord, the apostrophe S guide services, which is a lot of guide services. I want something a little bit more kind of amorphic, kind of to mold it, you know, clay to whatever I want. It's not just my name. The apostrophe S must be guide service. That's, yeah, boring. And uh, so I kept thinking about, like, catchy acronyms and things to say and all that stuff. It's like, we live down here, and all these lakes are Tennessee Valley authorities. Well, I was like, well, why don't we just, like, make a Tennessee Valley musky authority? And it's, like, not hurting their feelings, and Tennessee Valley authority doesn't really care. But all these awesome bodies of water are basically brought to you by the Tennessee Valley Authority, as well as any semblance of civilization in Tennessee. So, <laughs> historically speaking, that's very accurate. The TVA made the South industrialized. But the cool thing was, I was like, well, you know, if we had a really – clever acronym for a website url we might get some vicarious traffic yeah so the acronym for tennessee valley muskie authority is tvma which is also the television system for boobies and i was like you know you might get some guys looking for some melissa videos and they might just come across a muskie website and they might just do a little impulse buy Nice. The funny thing, the funny thing was when we tried to actually purchase the tvma.com.net.whatever whatever it exists, uh, all the URLs had been the domain names have been purchased by scalpers, which are people that basically buy domain names 
and then basically hold them hostage for a very inflated price in the event that someone decides to use this as a domain name and they want it. So literally all the TVMA uh, incarnations were owned by, you guessed it, different uh, aspects of the porn industry. That's not a joke. <laughs> it was like, it was going to cost like $2,500 to get TVMA.com. Okay. I'm not even, I'm not even by, talking. By it was, porn? It was held by a, like a, you could, like a pornography. A pornography. There you go. Nice. So yeah, that's, that's us. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey. That's us. Nice. I gotta pause this. We lost Todd. I'm gonna hit this thing back up. Hold on. Oh my. Alright, we got everything back on track. Okay, um, to, before we get into this too much, I need to give a shout out to Rob Wasser. He reached out to me, actually earlier today, uh, last podcast we did, I talked about a musky pattern painted legend plow. And, uh, come to find out he was the guy that painted and he yeah, donated. you know, we, we really didn't do our homework there. It was just stuff that came up with the conversation, and n- n- neither Andy or I knew the guy that painted it. So it was loud. Uh, I'm, I'm, it was very I'm, loud. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he came. You know, well, I'm glad he was listening too, <laughs> or or someone told him about it at least because uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So Rob, if you listen to this one too, um, I'm hitting you up because I'm just. Letting everyone know who painted that because it, word got around. It took like two people to for me to find out who did it. So, anyways, we're back with Corey Allen, and okay, Corey, you, just from talking so far, porn expert. Yes, Corey Allen. I no one questioned that director. He's where, where? Where are you at right now? Let's just let's get that out of the way because Vance is in the well, room. Like GPS coordinates or the state. I assume you're trying to get the comedic value out of the fact that I don't get signal at my house, so I'm parked in a church parking lot, which I affectionately call the pharmacy. Now, why would you call it the pharmacy? I don't get it. Oh, my God. Are you going to make me say that? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, really? Mm. That's like, great. Yeah, okay, sure. No, Hopefully, I don't, yeah. Hopefully you don't get stuck. I don't know, guys. Come on. Hopefully not the five o pulling while you're sitting there. Well, the funny I don't thing. Do that. <laughs> when we were trying to get the phones all hooked back up, there was like a police siren going by. Yeah. And. <laughs> but. Should have been like I'm doing a podcast, but like you just missed the dealer. <laughs> Better luck next time. He went that Better way. Better luck next time. Uh, nice. Okay, so. Um, you're down in Tennessee. Yep. And are there muskies down there? Because I've never heard of this. Dude, it's all Photoshop, smoke and mirrors. We're lying. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that monkey on our episode was filmed in uh, Indiana. I don't know. Yeah, there's muskies down here. What, Actually, what cool episode? Is, uh, you did a muskie hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, it's like it pulling teeth aired, to get him to hit the plugs. It mm. aired last week uh, on... Every channel except the ones we get down here. And up here. And the, one, and, and, and the ones we get around here, too. In okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. And, you know, very narcissistic. I can't watch myself on TV, you know. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing is about Tennessee is, like, I was really, I was big in fishing as a kid. I grew up in southern Illinois and Lake State. And I was, like, 
in, I don't know if people know, but like what spoon plugging is, I was like a cultist spoon plugger. And we got muskies on Kincaid, but I used to read about it and I thought it was cool. And I used to read about the range and it's like basically the only thing you ever heard about was like the Dale Hollow muskies. Like there's some in there from a stocking. Billy Westmoreland threw a little temper tantrum, got a petition signed, and they, they stopped stocking him, but they, you know, Ian Malcolm from friggin' Gratchet Park, like, life will find a way, and they still reproduce to this day. It's a very, it's very, I wouldn't say limited resource in muskies. There are some giant ones in there, but I don't fish it because it is, uh, yeah, it's far away, and it's a really deep, oligotrophic Tennessee reservoir and stuff. But the cool thing is, muskies are actually, like, really native to this state. Um, and when I say really native, like, you go back and look through books, kind of, like, check through, like, some of the history of things. Uh, there's a really cool, like, untold history of muskies in Tennessee. Aliens. No, I'm joking. Like, alien. Like, uh, Musky <laughs> aliens? Yeah, yeah, no. Like, the guy, like, aliens, man. Like, how did they get here? They're native. But what's cool is um, there used to be, like, a trophy muskie lodge in downtown Nashville uh, back during the Roaring Twenties. That's a true story. Because the Cumberland, the Cumberland River that flows through there before they dammed it up for the GVA, uh, all these rivers, like, uh, God, I could go on for a few minutes. Like the Cumberland, uh, the Clinch, um, French Fried, Emory, Obed, Collins, Caneyport, Lepita, all these are like native musky rivers. And they, they've been here since, you know, before there was a state of Tennessee. Somehow it didn't like ever get gnome, I guess, which is kind of weird, and at one point they actually almost became extinct because uh, there's this thing where, like, people would shoot them with rifles, and that was, like, all right. That was cool. Yeah. They'd run up and spawn guys with, like, shoot them. it's kind of like the stuff they do with pike up in Vermont, I think, except there was no season on it because it's Tennessee. So it was just kind of like open season. But that's what they used to do. Um, Back in the 50s and 60s, whatever, they started to be like, okay, actually put them on the endangered species list here, or protected species, and now they're bounding back. And the funny thing is about Tennessee is, like, seems like if they get in the body of water, uh, they're not going away. Like, you're not going to get rid of them. They're, they're cockroaches. Like, they're there. If you see one, there's, like, try pulling back the drywall. There's a lot of them, <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool because, like, we get to be, like, little junior detectives. And, like, we'll, like, hear about a bass guy. They're like, I looked to fish on Derpeter River. And we're like, oh, really? Cool. And then we go check it out. And, like, more often than not, we've been like, oh, wow, there's, like, more than one here. There's, like, a lot of fish here. Like, one of the spots that's like that, I first fished on kind of like a wild hair and, a, you know, um, a hot tip from a bass guy. And, like, we've taken a fish up to 51 inches. It's pretty cool. But um, it's cool. It's neat. And then now, you know, now they're doing the stocking. They're doing studies. Like, Melton Hill, like, I guess I could call, like, HQ, is, like, it's probably got some reproduction. Uh, it's probably the least qualified candidate for reproduction in the state. Um, just because of the nature of, like, the back to the cove. It's more of a typical reservoir situation where not so much the mountain streams they run up through to spawn, more of the muddy things to choke the right. But stocking is really good. We're getting 50 inch limits. Awesome. The freak farm. How uh, how long? So so they've been in that Milton Hill area for a long time. Well, well, like looking back, 
through the lens of time. They were stocked there in the 60s along with Pike. Okay. And they, I mean, things are so sketchy from back then because nobody really fished them except people around here. And there's like a few legendary figures, like one of them is E.C. Reagan who fished Dale Hollow for Muskie. He's like a, he's like a living, I don't, actually I don't know if he is anymore. Uh, he's like a legend of Tennessee Muskie fishing. But they didn't seem to take them or the pike as far as reproduction goes because I don't know. But there used to be big pikes here too, it's pretty cool because of the cool water. But then they jump started it again in 1998 and ever okay. since then it's just been kind of a, it's a three ring circus of, how yeah. big, like, how big do these fish get in here? I've got my yeah. theories, but there's a lot of big fish in here. Yeah. Is it an open season yeah. year-round? Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, I got it January 1st, and I fished December 30th. Yeah. And the cool thing is about Mountain Hill especially is, like, there a lot of the places that they live in other streams and stuff, like they'll find coal wire refuge. There's a lot of springs and stuff in some of these lakes at Rock Island. And they can always find it. It never gets so hot that, like, it burns them out and catches them. But it can be detrimental to their health if you catch some lactic acid and all. But the cool thing is about Mountain Mill is it's, like, kind of the red-headed stepchild middle kid of the TVA system. There's, like, it's in between, like, a 40,000-acre lake and a 30,000-acre lake. And the one above it is like 220 feet at the dam. So the water is coming out of that dam, this hydroelectric. So it comes out of the bottom, right? So year-round, by mandate for EPA, whatever regulations, and just keeping things somewhat a semblance of a natural flow, they have to run at least one generator one hour every 12 hours, no matter what. Power demands does not matter. So one hour at least every day, and more often than not, it's much more than that. They're pumping 46-degree water year-round, into Mountain Hill, which is a 6,000-acre uh, riverine reservoir. What's even cooler is because the upper end of the mitigation fishery that they made in the trout, trout stream, uh, even though the water that's coming out of the bottom of Norris is virtually devoid of oxygen, it hits a weir dam and puts like 9 to 10 parts per million oxygen shortly after leaving the uh, generators from Norris Dam. So we have this cool little thing called a benthic current. And a benthic current is literally like a cold water drain on it goes throughout the entire lake because of the constant give and take between the two dams, uh, Melton Hill and this. So, literally, there's, I mean, to be frank, anytime I want to find 65, 70 degree surface temps, even when it's been 100 degrees outside for five days in a row, which does happen, I can go find it. It's not hard. But even with the benthic current, it's funny to, like, watch kids jump in the lake in the middle of the summer because, like, the surface temp, and I mean the surface temp, like the first six inches, will occasionally get into, like, 81, 82. Never really seen higher than that, except in the backs of coast. If you, like, jump in there, your balls will recede. Because <laughs> that cold water, because that cold water, it's literally just feeding the surface layer. And the cold water underneath it, of course, is, you know, convection. It's going to go under. And that is going, that makes a very, very, very stable cold water system underneath it. So, like, even then... Even in the heat of the summer when surface temps, the rule kind of applies to other places, here it does not, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that, that, that is. I mean, you know, we have these guys on from Kentucky, and they really don't fish in summer because of just the, you know, because of the high water temps. But so, so you're able to fish them year-round with the same sort of a, a constant uh, water temp. Hello? Corey. 
Crap. Did we lose Corey? I think we did. All right. Well, we're going to pause this one again. Yeah, Corey. It was just, I mean, that is really neat. You know, we have these guys on from Kentucky and, uh, you know, some of those southern places, and they, they really don't fish them during the summer because of the high water temp. So you're able to fish almost a, a constant water temp, you know, pretty much year-round. It, 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 it allows you to fish year-round for these things. Oh, yeah, and the wacky thing is every year they do this crazy thing that we affectionately call the flush, mm -hmm. um, which is basically that dam that I mentioned upstream in the west. They will alleviate it and bring it back down to summer pool. Um, and so they literally just let that thing spill for, I mean, it could be five days, it could be two weeks. And the wacky thing is there will be one day and you'll wake up and leave the lake and the service temps will be 77. And the next day you wake up and you can't see through the fog 20 feet and you launch your boat and the surface temps throughout half the lake are 52. Overnight. So, yeah. So it's wacky stuff. Yeah. So it's, and, and that's got to be a challenging, uh, I know you guys have been catching some great fish down there, but you, that, that has got to be challenging at times trying to find a oh. fish. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, the thing that I, it's really hard to convey to people, and I know it's hard to even convey, because I understand I could go two hours without taking a breath talking about what I would consider the fallacies of what has been established as conventional angling now. It's not really discarding it, but shifting your perspective how you do it. Mm -hmm. But, like, so many people, you know, you go to this lake and you fish are like this. You go to this lake and you fish are like this. You know, these fish are this fish, this lake. And the thing you have to realize is, like, it's still the same genus and it's still the same species. They're just an animal. They're just a robot. And literally all they're doing is what the environment is programming them to do. Now, that might seem a little bit redundant, just being said, with like, well, yeah, that's why they're different. But so many people take that as canon. Um, this, like, really proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that literally they are simply reactionary robots. Like, that's why I tell people, I think I mentioned it on that show with Jim, because, like, your pattern, like, what pattern? How do you pattern something that's literally... The, the water's changing two to three times a day. Current goes on, current goes off. Coming in, it's going. Lake's going up, lake's going down. And the only time you ever have a pattern is, like, when you have some semblance of stability. Is that yeah. nature can kind of be like, okay, this is what's going on, so we're going to kind of do this for a while. And then somebody does something that syncs up with, this is what we're doing for a while, and that's how you get a pattern. Yep. And that just does not really ever happen. It's more about literally every day what's going on in the water um, as far as like current dropping this, temperature, stuff like that. The real only static thing that I can ever, that I could go off on a cool little theory about this, but I, I just won't because people will want to shoot me. Um, it's so boring. But like the one cool static thing about it all is um, it goes off into like evolution and, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, but <laughs> it's cool that, like, the one static thing that still governs everything that these first do, no matter what's going on, but everything somehow always correlates to pirates. I'm convinced that's everywhere. And that's what's cool to see. And that's, like, not just monkeys, that's, like, the shad and the suckers and the carp and the rock bass and the sturgeon and the, and the white bass. It's, like, it's so cool to watch those things uh, really just, you know, it, it's kind of like... Uh, foosball out here like with the way everything's bouncing around but it's really interesting to see how these things literally instinctively adapt to every little change 
And it's amazing. <laughs> like, what I tell people about this body water is it's like, take every idiosyncrasy of a muskie and amplify it times 10. And that's what you have to deal with a lot. Like, all the time. Little things go a long way. It's weird that those little things rarely positively affect things. Um, it's usually something that's, it's, it's some kind of a trigger that makes some form of instability that they're having to adapt to at the moment. Not consciously, but instinctively. And we have to kind of adapt to that. But it rarely, if ever, results in any kind of positivity. Um, I know when I talk to people a lot about, they're like, you know, they want to come down, they're like, well, what's the moon phase? And I'm like, dude, I stopped looking at that stuff. Like, oh my God, I don't even pay attention anymore. Because so much of that now in a lot of systems where I'm like, yeah, give stability, and then you have some sort of a lunar change. I think it's more light-based than gravitational-based. But when you have something like that that changes, and then it's like a positive accentuation of a situation that's otherwise stable, that makes perfect sense. Here, it's like, I don't even think they know what's going on, because like the water column, you know, changing so much that, like, any positivity that that could possibly have on the situation is completely drowned out by the static of what is going on in the environment right now. It's really, uh, and I mean, it's weird, though. There's been a couple times I can probably count on three fingers how many times things have absolutely gone apeshit on milk milk. Like, <laughs> apeshit, as far as a good way, like, the fishing just <laughs> yeah. like, and, and it's weird that like it's like some weird you know age of Aquarius thing like everything aligned and then it's like oh and then there was a moon phase and they just commit seppuku for like 30 minutes and then it's like oh back to the old Maytag man muscle yep. I'm gonna sit here and mope but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but so you're dealing with the I mean the epitome of there's muskies there and they're going to eat. That's because that's what they do. Yeah. You know, and you, you, so, I mean, you're, 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 you're not really following a lot of these patterns and, and, uh, you know, stable oh, you weather conditions that everybody's talking about because you don't have them. Uh, well, and, and I mean, and, I mean, a front is a, I mean, yeah, a warm front system is never a bad thing. I'm just saying that combining that with the water, like, in my head, I've got, like, these little dials and things that I kind of envision, and I'm like, okay, this thing cranked up and this thing turned out, and, like, somewhere they're going to coalesce, but all this basically factors into, I'm not going to lie to you, like, on any given day, I'm just going to go out and assume that, like, fishing is going to suck. So if I assume that fishing is going to suck, as far as, like, if I just go throw musky bait, it's just going to suck balls. If I start thinking, like, okay, what do I do in a situation where, quote-unquote, musky fishing sucks balls, <laughs> then I start thinking more creatively. And it's weird that, like, um, like then you start, like, thinking about active, neutral, inactive. What um, mm-hmm. are, are the things that dictates an animal really response? Okay. Um, uh, like that, and I mean, it's, it's just a good high-profile singular incident to draw upon that some people saw. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that. And I, it literally, I'm not doing like a, hey, you see me on the this, this, but it's like the monkey on our show is like, we got a really nice fish at the end of that show. We got a little 50-inch fish. Um, you, you, wait, you guys caught a was, fish? Or what? You guys caught a fish? 
I'm, yeah, we get two. I got like a forty-four, and we got a little fifty. Oh, jeez. No one likes those little 50s. Yeah. Those Did you keep it? Say <laughs> <laughs> what? Did you keep it? Well, it was legal, wasn't it? I don't know. I'm joking. We threw it, we threw it back. We threw it back. Of course we threw it back. Come on. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? We threw it back. I don't know. I, I, gave, just... her, I gave her a kiss and threw her back to the floor. But um, what the cool thing was, it was like, we got that, we got that fish on a three-inch fast drink fish fished very slowly and I did, it didn't strike it it didn't do it was not a musky rah, rah, rah. it was literally like wiggle 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 stop wiggle oh my god head shake that was it and the very it didn't even eat the bait it didn't even like fully engulf the bait it was like it literally had the back trouble of a three inch spring bait neatly planted into the right corner of its mouth um what a nice fish did, it, was like a, it was like a 52. It was a big fish. Um, now, did you catch it or did Jim catch it? Oh, I caught it. Oh, I, I, um, I didn't see it. I, I, I don't get the show. So. Oh, it's okay. No, 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 no. Oh, my bad, my bad. No, I, I caught it. I caught it. Um, I actually caught uh, both the fish on top. Okay, cool. So, um, um, but that, I mean, to me, that's like, that goes into some very interesting prospects. Um. Dare I go down a rabbit hole? Yes. Go, go. Come on, I Alice. I don't think, I don't think this musky thing or anything, um, this might be particularly hard to convey. Even I kind of lose myself down this train of thought. I don't think it's ever about eating. Okay. So don't get the straight jacket yet. I don't think that anything they do is ever a conscious effort to put something in my mouth for sustenance. Um, I literally think that the problem of sustenance within nature on all levels, especially in the aquatic world, is entirely taken care of and dictated by the prevailing environmental conditions. Saying that, in a body of water, in a consistent habitat that's self-contained, um, everything that's in that water is being dictated by the environmental conditions. The water, uh, Buck Perry wrote some really cool stuff that I, you like my hero, uh, that he never could totally isolate, but his theory was um, it has something to do with aspects of the non-visible light spectrum, but because the variables were so controlled by other aspects like water color and atmospheric conditions, he never could totally isolate it, but firmly convinced that's what does it. Um, these things are basically, it's just like a big giant, like every lake, every body of water, every part of the ocean, and of course even here, um, it's all just like one big giant mechanism of cogs put together and amongst this giant uh grouping of inner working systems there are the miniature cogs which are the animals that are within this environment so they're all being dictated by the same thing it's like you have to think about it like if all fish and this was really about hunger like if these animals mm -hmm. were eating because i'm hungry why would all of them get hungry at the same time do all people get hungry at the same time i mean we have work schedules and stuff, but like some people eat more, some people eat less. We eat this, we eat that. We do this, we do that. But everybody has like a different schedule dictated by the structure of my lives. But in nature, they don't really have that structure that's caused by a job or stuff like that. It's all dictated by nature. But like any idiot will tell you that like anybody that believes in a, in a moon phase bite will say, well, yeah, but, you know, that's when the fish started eating. And it's like, well, are they really... 
what's making, what, what does the moon have to do with them getting hungry? Like, what does any of that have to do with something being hungry to eat? It really has nothing to do with that at all. I think the issue of hunger is literally dictated and, well, taken care of by the fact that the same things that are affecting the prey affect the phytoplankton and the macroplankton and the entire food chain all the way up to the musky or whatever else is there. And they're all interacting. So when everything gets flustered and active, then it's behaving to be flustered and active. Everything reacts accordingly. My theory is these muskies, to be quite frank with you, I think the older they get, I think they're like 95, probably not even more than that, 95% of their life, like, as like from week to week to day, the time of their life, I think they're scavengers. I literally think that they're scavengers. As far as if you were looking at the natural element thing, that's what would make the most sense as to how they would gain sustenance between big meals. Like, most fish, they talk about, like, you know, they'll eat a big meal every week. Or they don't have to eat that often. Most these are kind of somewhere between, if I think of, like, a correlation of the rest of the animal world, I look at them somewhere between, like, a rock python and a cheetah. Uh, they're not endothermic. They're, of course, exothermic. So they don't have to have the same metabol- uh, metabolic needs to fulfill as, like, us or other mammals. Um, but what's cool is, like, everybody, just, you know, oh, they're out to kill this, and they're just ravenous predators, and it's like, I don't think that's the case. I think the fact that because so much of what we consider musky fishing, which is just an adjective placed in front of the word fishing, that dictates these are the activities that we've constituted to pursue this fish, but there's a big difference between musky fishing and musky catching. Um, that's when they get feedback. So people that just throw big baits all the time and fish the bass aren't power fishing, they're only going to have feedback when the environment dictates that that's what those animals will respond to, which is, when you get blunt about it, that's why this fish is called Fish of 10,000 Cats. Because so much of it has been based around when the fish are active, which is like, what, 3 to 5% of the time of that? Yeah. That the rest of the cast, you could be fishing through fish. You could be doing, you could, you could throw a butt tail over the fish 50 times and go take a dump and come back, and the light condition might have changed an nth of a degree, and the water was just right, and all of a sudden that's your 15 minute activity period, and all of a sudden the butt tail registers as something that they're willing to respond to. And boom, you've got a synchronization. And that's kind of the way I look at this whole thing. They're really called most of them reaction strikes. I think, I think even when they so-called eat, I think yeah. that's a reaction strike. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, I, I, I feel that way. I say it to people all the time. I think very few of the fish we catch are actually eating. Well, no, I, I think more of them are reaction strikes. You triggered something. No matter what the the the, uh, the variables were, but you triggered something. You know, it, it, any fish that's following your bait is is not feeding because well, if he wanted to eat it, he would have eaten. He, he would have already eaten it. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. I, I maybe did a bad job to make. I don't think they ever have a want to eat. I think their want to eat is completely fulfilled by what we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, the controls in nature. I know that's like a really weird Arthur C. Clarke way of looking at things, but. The only thing that really makes sense to me when I really step back and, and look at all this, because um, then you have to look at like all the different catches of fish that have been what people call accidental or incidental. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all know the stories of like the Ken O'Brien fish, and it was like 65 pounds, and it was caught on like a walleye thing. I mean, 
in a church parking lot right now. I was going to bring Yeah, that. isn't that great? Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, I, I didn't love think about that. That's, that's really, that's really scary. I'm <laughs> shocked you haven't that's burst wild. into flames. Yeah, I'm surprised your Good car catch. didn't blow up. Good catch. Yeah, I, you know, I'd love to take Richard Dawkins, Christian. Actually, I think he's kind of a tool. <laughs> but, um, but anyhow, like, does that make sense? I'm really not trying to go yeah. too deep down. No, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to this, and, and I'm... It's, it's, well, it's, and, and look at it, and look at it this way, too, like, we have guys down here all the time that are like utterly convinced that, uh, I mean, it's not just here. You guys deal with it up there too. Like, those muskies feed all our bass. Oh, well, they do. For, Don't they? Which is their, yeah, which is their excuse for, I'm a crappy angler, but I don't want to admit that, so I'm going to blame something else. Um, which, I mean, in more cases than one, it's like, yep, don't want to say it, but usually <laughs> that's the case. These guys that like to blame the other fish. But, um, you know, like, for instance, it happens all the time. Guys are reeling in a crappie, and it gets mangled. And it's like, well, yeah, like, there's two things that dictate if an animal is going to respond to um, a bait, a natural food item, which I don't think, I literally do not believe these fish have any form of comprehension. Like, I do not think that they are consciously aware of what's real and what's not. For the love of God, look at a double ten bucktail, which is a great bait in some situations. What does that even begin to emulate in nature? I get tickled when like guys are like, "Well, they love that walleye color, uh, double ten, because there's walleye in this place." And it's like, I'm gonna paint a. Uh, I can't even think of something that would be like a. a I want to paint a uh, elephant black and white. Now it's a zebra. Yeah, it's like no. I mean, it's like absolutely no semblance in the environment, but it's the color. I'm not a big color guy, guys. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I think it's almost. I think it's almost a misnomer. Uh, misnomer by modern angling. I, I think it's. Um, 
I think the color thing is something that we notice because we're human and green lights mean go and red lights mean stop and yellow lights mean speed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're in a very, very color-oriented world because we live in an environment of light. And color passes, you know, light passes freely through air and it does not so as much in water, especially different water colors and things that they encounter. You have to think that most fish do spend most of their life, freshwater fish, uh, where there's not a whole lot of light. And they really evolutionarily could not rely on vision or color to serve the need. Uh, that's why they have water lines. And it's really cool when you get into the studies of how incredibly sensitive the uh, lateral line organ is, it totally makes sense that they would not ever really rely on sight at all because it's almost a handicap to what they do. Um, I know I read a study one time that they did, uh, they're studying the sensitivity of the lateral line. It's a really cool study, and I need to find this again so I can actually like cite my source. Um, basically, they took some little pike and musky, put them in a tank, let the lights on, water was crystal clear, and they left the water still. I put a bunch of minnows in it, and those little suckers went by by in about 30 seconds. Um, I forget the name of the chemical, but they actually have a chemical that actually does help stimulate feeding in fish. Um, I need some of that. Yeah, no, no kidding, right? Todd, you don't need that. I need that. <laughs> yeah, our secret, though, like, we don't tell a lot of people that someone to give you the secret to, like, catch your on the mountain. Like, you get a tiger tube, and you stuff it full of rope known, and you drop it down where you think the fish are, and then they, like, float up. <laughs> it works every time. They they love those tubes, man. But anyhow, um, so yeah, like they did a study and they did this and they killed themselves. That was the uh, control group. The control group, the variable group number one, uh, was they could same fish, wait a few days, um, and they had no stimulus from what could possibly be perceived as a prey on them. Plus, these are smaller muskies, so they are very voracious. Like, young fish are obviously very susceptible to angling, and they are, like, metabolically desired. They're growing, and they're going to react to more stimulus accordingly because their body is saying, you know, they're not, I don't think they're hungry. I think that their body dictates that they respond to more, a broader array of stimulus to satisfy what their body is dictating they're doing, which is growing. Um... The next control group was, or the, the first variable group, my bad experimental, was they uh, turned the lights off, but they left the water so it was still. Um, and this is like laboratory darkness. This is even like less going night fishing. This is laboratory darkness. They dropped a bunch of minnows in. Bang, 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 gone. They actually killed them faster than they did whenever the lights were on the water still. Wait a few days, let things settle, go back. Um, and honestly, I think they could have just put them in there anyway and they would have eaten, but they just wanted to leave that variable. Like, well, the fish were sated. Now we'll wait a few days for them to get hungry. Um, so they went back to the next group. This is cool. The next thing they did was they left the lights on. This is gin clear, gray goose water. Um, cause it's in a big old giant aquarium in a lab, but they overstimulated the water column with vibration. The muskies could not catch a single china. The clock ran out. They could not effectively see in, a, in an environment of perfect vision because their lateral line was compromised and overstimulated with vibration. Just let that sink in. Just let that sink in. Uh, one of the coolest things that I've noticed in my own musky fishing, and then I like remember 
watching Big Cat Diaries one time. Like, a fish is a fish is a fish, so a predator is a predator is a predator. It stands for reason. Um, you don't mind me. Can I, can I go ahead before we take another breath in this? Can I kind of just follow this track? Oh, yeah. Uh, as long as you won't right. pass out. Yeah. All right, no, that's cool. Um, and I know, and that's, that's one of the things, like, I know we're here to talk about Tennessee Muskies. Uh, I actually don't think there's such a thing as a Tennessee Muskie there in Muskies in Tennessee. Think about it. Um, but what's cool is, have you ever watched, like, uh, any program that has, a cheetah is the single best example I have ever seen, because they are the mammalian version of a Muskie. They are fast switch white muscle tissue. They are incredible bursts of speed. Uh, and then they sit there and lick their balls for the other 23 hours. So they get hungry. That's what they do. They're, they're yeah. tough. They're predators. Yeah. And that's a typical predator. That's a typical predator profile is intense bursts of violent energy to gain a massive amount of caloric intake. And then we're going to rest and conserve until the next time. Uh, of course, forage things like whether you're talking about a bison or a deer or a shad, or whatever, things like that that serve that role, which are inherently then food items, uh, they're much more kind of like, they're very, like it's much more static. Like their exertion and their intake are basically level. You know what I mean? Like the deer and gazelle and things are grazing a lot. All day, yeah. But they're, not, but they're not burning a lot of energy to intake. So it's more of just a steady balance. It's not like a predatory thing. Um, so you watch these students, and this is the coolest thing. Like, I remember this part of, like, eight years ago, I was watching this, and I was like, oh, my God, that is it. You watch this cheetah, and the cheetah will literally sit there in the savannah, and, I mean, they're naturally camouflage. And the gazelles are really good at what they do, but still the cheetah's even better. And the cheetah will literally be within a good 20 feet, 30 feet sometimes of a gazelle, which that's like a tail flick of a mosque. Same thing. They don't have to. They, they're really good at what they do. They're really fast. Um. So this cheetah could totally kill this gazelle, be dead before it hits the ground, and it wouldn't even know what happened. But it doesn't. It sits there and waits. And it'll literally sit there and cock its haunches, preparing for a dash that it probably shouldn't even have to make if it would just make it take the opportunity. But the gazelle sits there and grazes, and the cheetah watches. Great. And sometimes this goes on for a few minutes until so the gazelle looks up and says, Holy shit, that's a cheetah. <laughs> I'm boned. So the gazelle then says, I'm boned, but I'm going to try to do this real casual. So the gazelle kind of looks and looks at cheetah, and the dance starts. So the gazelle will kind of trot off, kind of act like that, 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 and whistle away. And then the cheetah starts to trot with it, matches its speed. This goes on for a few seconds, and then the gazelle's like, oh, he's on to me. Gazelle takes off to a dead sprint. Top gazelle's 55, top, cheetah 70. So the cheetah can overtake the gazelle very easily right now, in a matter of seconds. You get 15 miles per hour on the gas. The cheetah will stay, literally pull back. You'll watch the cheetah. They will pull back on the range and stay right behind the gazelle. Until what happens? The gazelle darts either left or right, and then the cheetah makes the kill. Where do we see this in what we do? Yeah. Why is there a thing called a figure eight? 
because when all this started, most people, for the most part, would only do a straight retreat with very little speed variation. The only time that the vessel, like guys with real on the bait, all of a sudden the fish would follow up, they're like, well, crap. You know what happened? Well, then somebody, and who knows where it started, somebody got the wise idea to start making things turn at the boat. And that's when the musky kills the bait, is when the bait turns at the boat. Now, of course, we all know figure eight not that simple. I have, a, I have a lot of fish shit. When I dangle the bait, we got a 51 last week. It was cool. I had a fish follow twice with a friend of mine, and it would just only respond to a very slow, magnum shallow invader. So slow, it would not even win the test. It's going straight retreat. I would let it sit in his face, would not do it. Didn't have the right size control. All about death speed size action control. Um, had to do it twice. And finally, my friend had a tube on, and I was like, dude, just check it out of the boat. And he did that, and he just felt a tick, and it was a 51 inch musky. Wow. Bait and switch. I love doing that. <laughs> but what's cool is that's, that's exactly like what you see with the cheetah is what we see with muskies. They're almost the exact same signature predator profile. And that's why we have things called figure eights, where literally, like you guys have, like you guys said before, if they really want to eat the thing, there is nothing stopping them. There is no yeah. human being on this planet that can real fast enough to get away from muskies. No. And in fact, one of the things that triggers a lot of muskies, uh, they made several reels for this burning double ten. Like, why why was the burning double ten a big thing? Because fish would follow, follow, follow. And as soon as what they are perceiving in their environment in the dance as their prey, which I don't think they even recognize themselves as a predator and a spray, they're just reacting to things. As soon as it does that and does what we call prey do when they're in the presence of a predator, then it does its job as a predator to annihilate the prey. Make sense? Yeah. And that's where fishing gets really cool. Because you're no longer trying to make something eat something. You're literally trying to dance with it. And it's pretty boss. I think, that's, I think that's, yeah. I mean that that's jerk baits. That's what we use. Yeah. Stop, no, I mean, start, pause, jerk, rip, pause. Like, no, I mean, that's, 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 that's absolutely right. And that's like that's where the that's where the gloves like come off with fishing. Like I mean, I've watched these. I used to sight fish them in a kayak in the middle of the day in a three foot river, and the only time the only thing they would ever respond to uh, was if I let the three to five inch flukes sit on the bottom dead in front of their face and they would come over and pick it up off the bottom and I never felt strict and I'd have to watch them pick it up in their mouth that is that that taught me a lot that taught me a lot we go night fish and throw, you know but even at night when we throw like top waters and stuff in this little stream and kayaks which is a lot of fun it's like you're still throwing for hours until you get your 30 45 minutes of activity um but then it's like but then we get done and you're like Sun comes up in the sun, it's like, well, now we're counting like 30 fish paddling back, sitting in the shallows, scratching their ass. And it's like, well, what do we do with these things? <laughs> and so, like, I, I was like, well, I had a hunch, and I bought this little spinning rod and a thing, and I bought some light wire reader and some small things. And I was like, you know, I just want to see the work. And sure enough, first time I ever sight fished a muskie like that, I watched it come over, and I watched it pick up a piece of plastic off the bottom and put it in its mouth. Like picked and it up in its hand. That was a big. That was a big light bulb. And I was like, they had sat there and looked at it for like ten seconds before it did that. They have no idea. They have no idea what's real. It's all about literally syncing up with whatever nature is dictating their what we would interpret to be a mood. I don't like mood because of the human connotation. 
and it kind of puts people on a wild goose chase. But whatever their activity level um, is being dictated by nature, if you synchronize with that, then you get a reaction, which is also cool because then theoretically there's no such thing as an uncatchable fish. Under any condition, there's no such thing as an uncatchable fish. Hmm. I'm done. <laughs> let, let, let me uh, let me ask you this: Did you graduate high school? <laughs> yeah, you're you're a deep thinker. Uh, did you graduate high school? <laughs> yeah, but if I listened to the shit, I wouldn't have a GED. I'll say that. Because um, <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have I would have like never shown up in class like ever. Like, ever. <laughs> this place is awesome. But um, it was hard enough for Jim Cape like Elman back there. Yeah, I, I graduated high school. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just saying that, you know, I didn't know how much higher education he had, and I figured I'd start low. I'd start low. <laughs> Couldn't you tell by the way he speaks and thinks? Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't. With the way the podcast, before the podcast, I'm like, this is going to be fun. We got a uh, good old boy. And little did I know, we have like a doctorate in musky fishing. Yeah. Oh my god, but I had this whole thing scripted out where I was going to talk about like, man, I got to get to this top spot down the road, man. I got a big bush riding on. <laughs> Jay Henry. Jay Henry's going to whoop him. But uh, no, it's like, it's cool, dude. It's like a, the Tennessee is an interesting dichotomy of people. And like, so my best, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. There are some people that are literally geniuses. Well, thank you. You would you would never know it. You would <laughs> never know it. I've met I've met people from the hills down here that are intimidatingly intelligent. It's really it's really interesting to like be around here because so many people typecast. Everybody's like you know everybody thinks you know hicks and stuff. I mean, then it's but intelligent. I mean, you know, genetics. I don't care. Dude, like there are some like. We've got, I'll just give him a plug, dude. I've got a kid, I call him a Padawan. Uh, Charles, he's a kid that got 51 with me last week. Charles has now got 450s with me uh, in my boat. Wow. Um, and he's kind of like, he's kind of like my rabbit's foot. Like, every time I, I'm, like, not doing anything and I want to take my rabbit's foot, I'm like, Charles, I'm, like, I'm on the boat. Because he's a really smart angler. That's not it. Um, Charles is 21 years old and he's, better than most grown men I've ever met. He's only been like two years. Um, but he's like, he's from the hills. Really smart kid. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, it's weird. I met him. He, there's actually a native musky river called the Obat, like 20 minutes from here. There's this culture of musky fishing. Literally, Donald wrote a college paper on it um, when I was still doing that thing. Um, but then they didn't care. There's this little endemic musky culture around the Obed River, which is a natural musky river. And uh, so, like, People and their fathers and their fathers' fathers and their fathers' fathers and their fathers' fathers' fathers', fathers, 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 fathers have been fishing for muskies there for time immemorial. And it's really cool. It's like this little um, buried diamond in the rough of muskie culture that exists in this very small remote region. And Charles is from that. But he's like so good. That kid is so like, he's, he's smarter than work, dude. That kid. But man, we, uh, we, we've got some stories. He had about a 53 last year, hit his tube hanging out the side of the bowl, and he was talking to his girlfriend on the phone, and he lost it, and I still hate him for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was just sitting, he was literally sitting there talking to the phone, hanging his tube off the side of the boat, and kind of lightly jigging it, and I, I just don't know if I get my head, but it's giant fish. 
and it just literally crunched down on it. And he freaked out and just, I think it actually it broke a snap or something. It hit with such force and he wasn't ready for it. And he jacked its jaw and we had some terminal tackle failure that I'm even afraid to. And actually, I think it was one of his snaps, so I can't hit the on that. But, um, no, dude, it's, it's cool. It's an adventure down here. Like, I've met some of the coolest, most eclectic people and literally, like, the best friends, not to be all care bear, but, like, the best friends I will probably ever have in my entire life from musky fishing in Tennessee. It's cool. Aww. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> talk about talk about your uh, your. What do you fish out of? A toughie, right? Yeah, I fish out of a toughie socks LTD. And we, we met we met at Tony Grant's place for the PMTT. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. And we we had the same motor. You still rocking rocking that seventy horsepower Yami? Yeah, I'm still rocking that. What happened? I remember looking at your prop. It was like uh, it, it wasn't prop shaped. It was more like it was kind of just like a square at that point. I didn't know how you you propelled through the rock. <laughs> yeah, I got a new prop. Nice. Um, we, have, we have to do a little bit of tweaking. Yeah, I got a new prop. Yeah, it's it's not it's That sounds like yeah, that's right up my alley. Keep that's talking. Our, that's, that's right up Andy's alley. Yeah. What's that? I I, I fish the small rivers that are that get dicey. Oh yeah, I mean like I uh, I used to fish Middle Tennessee more when I lived over there, and like there was this one run called the Kessel Run, and anytime I wanted to make somebody sphincter, like you know, pucker factor nine. How many parsecs can you do it in? Say what? How many parsecs? Never mind. Say what? Never mind. mind. It was it was a Star Wars Sorry. reference. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> oh, how many parts? Like, yeah, no, I see you know, eleven and a half. <laughs> but um, no, I called the castle run, and it was like I knew if the CFS was above ten fifty nine CFS, I could do the castle run, and anything below that, I learned the hard way that I could. Um, but usually 11, 11.50, uh, yeah, the hard limestone line, which is a hard rock, but still hard enough to take your off. Um, but, like, it's like a big, long, maybe half-mile run of rapid shoals up to a, up to a uh, creature emergence. And, uh, you know, literally, I'd say, like, it's the best way to win a river is go through a couple props. <laughs> but, um, there are some real, you gotta watch, you gotta watch down here if you're going to some of the places that's new. Mel Mel's pretty devoid of anything. There's a couple areas, but I mean, you kind of have to be a total idiot to hit them. Um, but the little rivers are different. The little rivers can, uh, can, can't say that word. Uh, they screw you up. They screw you up pretty bad. You know, so, yeah. Now, now, do you do all your trips on Mountain Hill, or do you do them wherever you feel fishing is going to be best? Do you take people out on those little rivers? Oh, we do on occasion. Um, okay. No, I'm not going to lie. There's some places that are pretty remote that we just kind of keep to ourselves. And it's not because we're like Mr. Burns selfish. It's more like I know how the six degrees of separation works. And some things are just kind of meant to be holy. You know, some things are some things should stay sacred. Can you, know? can, can you tell me? I'll be honest. They're not, they're not even like... They're not even like the best place to catch big <clears> fish. There's just a lot of fish. 
know, there are some nice fish there, but for the most part, we try to keep those for ourselves. Not, not to be dicks. I mean, that's really not like it's not to be dicks. It's just because we don't want a very small encapsulated system to yeah. become the jungle cruise. That's it. Yep. That's literally it. We we're respecting the environment now. Long no, go have a ball. Get six thousand acres. Have fun. But yeah, some of the some of the other things around. I mean, there's a couple uh, areas that are, I guess, more riverine, not in all in the area that I will guide, and uh, and they are very good. Um, but it's just kind of like a, a personal judgment call. Like they can take the pressure and the difficult enough that people are just going to come back and do gangbusters every time. Um. So that, but that's cool. It's nice to have those in your back pocket. Um, yep. And there are times when, like, Melton Hill will be foobar. And it's like, you know what? Like, uh, the thing about Melton Hill and love is, like, any given day, I know that my bait is at least going to come within five feet with a fish over I know this one. I can, I can almost guarantee that there's never been a day on this lake that my bait has to come within five, five feet of 50 plus. I can almost guarantee that. Now, that does not mean that it's, it, it strikes. There's just a lot of big fish in here. But I know that it's always got a very good shot. And it's very big fish in this lake. Hey, did, did, um, did you see a couple years ago that, that, that the two guys that got like that state record? That was me, dude. I know. I know that. I oh, was, okay. I, yeah. Come on. I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> Did you it, ter- wasn't a, it wasn't a state record. Like, and honestly, like the story of that goes, like that. That that's media. I mean, I don't know. I've heard people. You kind of learn who your friends are, or something like that happens. I'm not saying like any of my people that I call friends are not friends. I mean, that's not it. But like, people that are critical are very critical for a reason in chef school, and people that aren't are just genuine people. And like, you know, good job. Um, like that, I don't see how that fish could not have been a state record. We just didn't want to kill it. Like the client and I just did not give a squirrel fart about claiming a record. A squirrel we fart. Said, we th- we thought we were gonna have to at one point because we weren't sure how well it was gonna take off. Um, but then it took off just fine. So we're like, oh, screw it, yes. Now now she'll be fifty six, fifty seven when you catch it. That fish was really young. That fish was in very good health. Um, and I will tell you, I know for a fact. Everybody's got their fish stories. I know I've hooked three fish bigger than that uh, in this lake. You have? I know for a fact. I know for a fact I've hooked three fish bigger Not boated. Just hooked up. what? You, you didn't boat them, but you saw them. No, 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 no. I, I, I know they're bigger. That's awesome. What was the, what was the size stuff. of that, that, that state record in question? Say what? What was the size of that fish you caught? Uh, on our tape. Oh, not about board, but on our, on our little stick on the thing, it was like 54 and a half, a little bit, a little bit over the half mark, rounded down. But I mean, you know, it's what it is. We didn't really tail fish or anything, but I, like the best thing to put on paper is it was 54 and a half. It was a big fish. Yeah, you you showed um, me you showed me a picture of that when we were yeah down at Tony's place. That oh was, yeah 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 I remember that. Yeah, um, yeah it was. It I was, mean, the, the thing I like to say about it is like I mean, there's there's bigger fish in here, no doubt. Um, wow. And I, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't think people have a clue yet. Um, that does not mean they're easy to catch, believe me. They are. I'm having to... I'm having to expand my spectrum of how to approach angling 
to even begin to qualify for these fish because I do not think that they are active enough. Like I know the fish that I hooked that were that were the, the fish I, I'm almost absolutely certain were larger than that. At least two of them were significantly larger. Were under really, really, really good stable conditions, even for the lake and even for the water, and they were not active fish when they hit. Um, fishing very slowly, very deep. Um, and that that to me constitutes that makes perfect sense. Like that was a big fish. Um, how, how long have they done any studies to see how long are those fish looking down there? They really don't have. See, and that's the thing is because the fish of this size class literally are so difficult to catch angling. Like the one, okay, the one thing I would regret. Um, I'm pretty good friends with a regional biologist. His name is Jim Negus. He is awesome. He is awesome. Mad Prost to Jim Negus, region four fisheries biologist from Tennessee. Getting shit done. Nice. Keeping it real. What is um, he? Again? He is. We're like, we're kind of pseudo drinking buddies occasionally. We'll go fishing together and, and it's more about uh, the liquid in the boat and the liquid outside the boat. But um, you got a 53 with me uh, when we went fishing the first time. So we're on pretty good terms. And um, that's one of the things about the big fish that was kind of a lamentation was. Science could have learned a lot about the lifespan. Like that fish that I yeah. into this lifespan. That fish, I can. That's one of the reasons I, I really did not want it to die because I was like, this fish is pristine for a fish this size. Um, that fish has years ahead of it. I know that sounds nuts. That fish has years ahead of it. You have to think when you have a body of water that they can literally be in 55 to 65 degrees year round, um, mm -hmm. and it never gets too cold. Like you might be dealing with something really crazy there. I mean, you know, the guys that's what I mean. are dealing with 13, 13 years max. Our fish oh, up here in upper New York and Canada, I mean, some of these fish, they're, they're aging at 26, 27, 30 years mm -hmm. old. You, you, you might be able to have the growth rate with the, with, with, with the extended life. With, with the extended life. Yeah. I've been saying it for like six years before I moved over here. I was telling people that. I'm like... Yeah. I was literally, I was literally telling people, and they said I was not. I was like, this place is a freak farm waiting to happen. I'm like, there's nobody water on the planet that does that. There's yeah. nobody water on the planet that lets the genetics of these animals not be limited by either the colder end or the warmer end of the spectrum. Yeah. It is complete metabolic stability when they want it, when they need it. There is literally, I mean, and I'm sure, yes, obviously there's a limit, but God knows. I mean, God knows. I think it would be cool to find out. I think it would be cool to find out. I, I'm, I'm convinced some crappy guy is some striper guy is going to get really lucky in the next four or five years to pull out a 50 years. That's a good yeah, yeah. No, dude, I'm serious. Yep. Yeah, I'm all, I mean, I, 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 totally, I totally see where you're coming from there, you know. I mean, the, the, you know, just like we said, the fish, just, you know, the fish live in, in, in Kentucky until they're 13 or 14. The only reason they're going at is because they live in Kentucky under the circumstances they live under. The fish in Canada and up here in upstate New York and places like this, they live till they're 27 or 28. That's just because they go dormant. It's the same fish. It's a muskie. And I, I, I like that part of what you said is that, you know, the muskies are muskies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, they don't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> no, they have, there like, you can, like, Jurassic Park, and a brilliant, not only a brilliant movie, like, 
I know, and that was real. I, life. Lo- I love it. I love when he, when, when he says that. Like, they don't know this is the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know? They're just going to be dinosaurs. Just look at dinosaurs. These things have no idea where they're at. Mm-hmm. They're just put into a different pen and, like, let's see what happens. And that's yeah. what, like, I don't, I don't really. I don't know how much R&D went into the decisions to put muskies in here, but I'm not even sure they realized exactly what they had on me. Yeah. I mean, I think I think they knew they'd get some big fish. I don't think, I mean, you know, I'm crazy, I know, but, like, I don't know, man. I mean, is this literally all, if you want to frame a reference, we have saltwater strikers in this place. And it's actually, it used to hold the world record for uh, saltwater strikers. Um, like 60 pounds. And I know guys who've got 60 pound fish. I know guys, I know there's bigger fish than that. I don't really target strikers. <laughs> we occasionally catch some big ones. Um, I had enough of them in middle Tennessee to last me a lifetime. It's, it's fun enough to go. I got like a 40 pounder last week, musky fishing. Um, I don't really enjoy catching them musky fishing because I'm trying to catch musky. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but they are fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. I'll I won't agree lie. with you. I hate catching forty pound fish when I'm fishing for muskies when it's not a muskie. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, it's not that. It's not even for the reasons you think. It's not like I'm a fool. <laughs> it's like why well, have the muskie fish? That'll pull it's me like, right off the water. I'll be so pissed. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I'm and I, I've gotten so good at it, like I know as soon as it's a driver, I'm like, oh shit. Do you, do you just yeah. cut the line? Shit, it's a it's a it's a world record striper. Get this thing out of here. Well, if I got, if I got, if I hooked a striker that I knew was like an absolute monstrosity, I would, I would boat it. I mean, I would, I would just happily boat it and then just be like, okay, just leave me alone now, guys. Leave me alone. Don't ever bother me again. So, but I mean, it's, it's not a fruit thing. It's just like when I go on I'm fishing a body of water that I know has fish of the size class we've discussed, the last thing I want to have to deal with is a striker. Um, yeah. But, the coolest thing is, like, this is a fish that, in salt water, I know they netted them, like, you know, up to 125 pounds or something. It's absolutely stupid. Um, these kind of seawaters, other than the lakes out in Arizona, historically, and then that old man that got that super freak down in Alabama on the Black Warrior River, there's some hot water discharge, got some out of left field 70 pounder. But, like, there are, I'm convinced, I mean, it's not even convinced, I'm like, I'm sure there's 70 pounds. Strivers in Milton Hills, maybe even bigger. But, that's a fish that has a very, has a much more stringent uh, demand from the environment to thrive than muskies, as far as temperature regime and things go. Um, the TVA reservoirs are fairly unique in the fact that they do um, really cultivate, and the cool thing is, the TVA reservoirs specifically that have uh, the cold water flowing into them that create mitigation trout fisheries uh, at their head are the ones that produce the largest trips. Um The lakes that don't only produce maybe 20, 30 pounders, if that. Uh, but the lakes with the, with the cold water coming in and mitigation trout fisheries resulting, they produce the tanks. If this is a lake that can produce an at least 60-pound striper, how big of a muskie can it make? Are you hinting on, on a possible world record coming from Tennessee? I think that's what he's saying. I don't, yeah. I don't want to say that, but I, I'll say it. 
I mean, it sounds nuts. I know it sounds nuts, but there are there's three bodies of water in the state that I think could realistically put out a state record. There's one that's not Melton Hill that I would almost guarantee has one in it, and it will never be caught, and it will die of old age, um, which is Dale Hollow. I would almost mm-hmm. guarantee you there's a musky. I, I would almost guarantee you by the profile and the low density of the forest base um, that there is a world record musky swing in Dale Hollow that will never see any presentation in its entire life. Um, and, you know, good luck finding it. I accept your but, challenge. Mm. Do what? I accept your challenge. Dude, go, go, have, go have a ball. I mean, they're not a catch ball. I know guys catch. But it's, uh, it's, it's, an, it's, 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 it's not as challenging as you think. It's a different animal. Uh, I do want to go fish it. Like, kind of my retirement plan, I guess, is Dale Hall. Because um, it would be fun. It's like a really, really deep, like a trophic lake um, with a relatively low population. It would be fun. Um, but Fred McClintock did really well there back in the day. He got some like 53. I'm, I'm convinced Fred McClintock got state record a couple times out of there and just didn't give a shit. Um, and he's got some giant stories. But, um, yeah, I mean, even saying that, Dale Hollow is unique. It's a two-story fishery. It has, uh, doesn't have the cold water influx, but it's so cold, it's kind of so deep. But there's oxygen all the way to the bottom. So they can occupy anywhere they want. Um, there are trout. There's tons of blueback herring and alewives and all the things. I actually think, I think big roving pods of small forage fish grouped tightly make bigger muskies than big singular prey items, if you just want my honest opinion. Um, but, yeah, Mountain Hill is, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a freak farm. It's a, it's, it's a very, 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 very unique situation that has potential. I, I've always said, I'm like, we'll see latent genetic potential come out of these fish. I could be wrong, but I think this is a situation that they've never been introduced to. Um, never, there's never been a muscular planet that's been subject to this kind of um, well, lack of stress. Like, they don't have the seasonal influences of struggles of up north, which obviously, that's why up north does produce ridiculous fish, because they might not grow as fast, but their life is expensive, expensive, and within determinate growth, if they were to be 30 years and they're only gaining a quarter inch after they get the 50 inches or whatever, and they just get to 18, yeah, they might get really flipping big. Um, and that's why you get 50 inch fish over here. Or up there, but down here, it's like to grow fast. It's like made like a. I know I. I'm, I hate to say this, but like I'm pretty sure I heard Jim Nigger say that they had a musky get to 40 inches in three years here. Um, wow. That's like the, the bigger fish, but the bigger fish on the upper end, uh, there was like a 52 and a half a few years ago in the telemetry fish, uh, that was uh, harvested and died, and they took they got data from that fish. And that fish had not been actually, they thought it had died prior and they just lost the signal. The fish had been uh, downstream a ways. Or they thought it might come to a steam plant in the wintertime where they do a lot of shocking. The fish had been way downstream and finally came back. The guy caught it. Uh, it incidentally died. And they got the telemetry beacon back from it. So from this, and they had the details of the fish and all this stuff, they didn't have the body. 
but they had the details of the catch and how long it was and how long it was when they tagged it. And that fish had grown from 47 inches to 52 and a half inches in the three years since they'd seen it. And that fish yeah. was not, that fish was not old. I think it was like nine years old, 10 years old. Something yeah, like that. that's, that, that, that's blowing the growth rates we have around here out of the water. Yeah. Yeah, and the fish isn't dying out. Mm. It's getting big, it's getting big, but its growth curve isn't shrinking like it does normal. Mm-hmm. Bring it all. Yeah. Kind of, kind of scary. Yeah. And I mean, we are kind of talking about the photo here. Like nobody's got a picture of it yet, and if they do, it's blurry. But I, it's not. I hate even using this line of logic because usually idiots say it. They're like, yeah, the absence of evidence is this. Or the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Like you kind of have to look at the situation, the criterion, and you kind of have to postulate what if, because. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how you discover things to begin with. That's actually what science is all about. It's not about regurgitation. Um, it's about postulation off of hypothesis. Uh, if this and this or this and this plus this could possibly equal this. Oh, let's go figure it out. So. But um, isn't that sad? But you ever think about that? Like mountain gorillas. Like back in the flipping day, 100 years ago, mountain gorillas were a wise tale from the natives of Africa. There's no way on a planet that doesn't know Mountain Girl is real. You got like a Disney movie about them. But like, um, on well, Edgar Rice Burroughs' book and Space Farm. But like, 100 years ago, Mountain Girls were a myth. And like, but they actually had people were like, yeah, but let's go see if it's real. Let's go find out. And they did. And guess what? They're real. And nowadays, yep. it's like anything that's even not in the textbook. They're like, oh, it's not the textbook, so it can't be real. Best example of that was. Did you guys see that video, um, which is so, I can't say the word, flipping clutch, that they got a video of it on their little flip video phone. Those uh, natives in New Guinea, when they got that 20 and a half foot flipping saltwater crocodile a few years ago. Did you guys see that? Anyway, you guys seen that? I want to yeah. say it, it rings a bell, but I don't, I don't remember it exactly. So It looks like a dinosaur. It's a, it's a flipping dinosaur. Yeah. And these natives caught it. But here's the cool part about it. The thing I thought was so funny when I watched the special on it was like, here's zoology. And zoology is like, well, the solar crocodile only gets to be 16 feet because that's the largest one we've ever officially documented by an academically accredited team. It's, you know, it's not like they lived there. They went there for a week and that's the biggest one they found. Somebody yeah. else had some other planet. <laughs> you know, it's like fucking proof. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... I didn't mean to drop that. Number three. Like, sorry. Um, yeah. Safety words. Safety words. But, um, this <laughs> only. But anyhow, um, so these guys, like, they don't believe. Like, all these natives are like, they're, my brother got eaten by a crocodile that was huge. And nobody believes them. Like, their fishermen are getting picked off by a crocodile that's like, is like they're, they're Trying to trap this, so the natives like, 
uh, parents went to teaching or something around. They taught the damn thing on their own. They were 20 and a half feet long, and they had it, like, friggin' Ewok style on, like, banana leaf mats and trees. And they loved this 20 and a half foot crocodile after they managed to capture it, like, two miles through, like, the bog and the brush and shit. They got it back to the village. And now that we've got a video of it, and now science can come in and measure it with their science tapes, and their official protractor, I mean, I'm not, I'm not this guy, I'm just making fun of it. Yeah. But it's like, now that we've got the Yale accredited tape measurer, it's like, well, now we'll accept it. And it was so funny, the, the zoologist on the show was like, well, you know, like, your, the other one was 16 feet, but then this one showed up and like, well, we've officially documented it. It's like, it's 20 and a half feet, but, but they don't get bigger than that. What in the hell? <laughs> and it's so funny. It's like, why the hell, dude? It's like, starting to like, Oh, no, it don't get any bigger than the one that was bigger than the one that we thought was the biggest one last time. This shit. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on, dude. And then, the, and then the kids were like, oh, yeah, that's not the big one. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? It's like, hey, but we're not going to go try to find that one. We'll let them eat, like, 50 more Papua New Guineans before we actually <laughs> give it there. But, like... It's, like, so funny, though, to me, but that's, it's, like, the same thing in fisheries, like, when you talk about a fishery like this, and you make hypotheses based off the criteria that are present, like, this animal is dictated by these parameters, uh, physiologically, that it can reach this size under these conditions. Same thing as you said that, yeah, the South produces some big fish historically, but the rules of the South are dictated by climate a lot of times, even in reservoirs. There's, there's no other reservoir like this. Um, really cool waters year-round like this. I mean, there's I can understand some of the Kentucky places have springs, but still, that's not the same. No, that's not as, the same. No, that's not even close to being the same situation mm -hmm. as this. Not even remotely close. This no. is a freak on. And the coolest thing is because of all the stuff we were talking about earlier, where it's so such a brain coitus. There, um, it's such a brain coitus that. They're literally hidden in plain sight. I mean, I, it, like, makes me want to try some days because, like, there are times when I'm convinced that, like, I looked at my buddy the other day, I was like, we've probably driven over 10 fish over 55 inches today, and we'll never know. We probably put baits within five fish of that size class, and we'll probably never know. So what do we have to do to get them to notice us? You know, like that's it. Like, there's an old animal. There's an old animal that spends most of its life super inactive. And I know it doesn't have to eat. All I know is that it can be made to respond. How do we yep. do that? And we're working on it. Hopefully before the crop, yeah, hopefully before the 58 inch eats the crappie guy's jig and he gets real lucky. Because we all know about the 59-inch fish from Michigan that was caught on a hair jig in the mm -hmm. water. That was no accident. That fish makes perfect sense to me. It makes absolutely perfect sense. Because the odds of being there when a fish is that old, presenting a musky, quote-unquote, presentation, when it's active enough to respond to it, are so much more astronomically profound and stacked against you than trying to present something that would cater to its activity level 99% of its existence. 
something really small and really slow. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's good stuff. I try. I try. I try. I'm not as good, I'm not nearly as good at what I talk about as I want to be, <laughs> but I'm kind of like, I kind of like, by the time I'm 35, I want to be like, scary. I want to be like the David Blaine. <laughs> well, I mean, you're telling us that you're you're throwing musky baits by 55s within five feet of them every day. That you're or throwing or casting. I mean, that's not. I'm sure it's not every day, but like, I'm sure that like I'm connected. Like a lot of times, are especially trolling where I'm down like 15, 20, 25 feet or jigging or whatever. I'm convinced that my baits are probably going. I'm you know, because your baits are going past lots of big fish, but they don't even acknowledge their existence because that. What my bait is doing is so far out of synchronous <coughs> with what nature is dictating that animal behavior, what that animal's behavior, and what it will inherently respond to in that given dictated behavior by nature at that time. It's literally like they don't even know what's there. They don't even acknowledge it. Like, I'm, the way I look at it is like these baits and these things that we're doing, like, as far as these fish are concerned, if it's not synchronized or what their activity level is, they by nature that time and the fact that, you know, holy fish are less active, da, 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 da. it's almost like they're translucent. It's like they're ghosts. Like these things do not even register with them. They don't even, they don't, it's funny that they don't even acknowledge them. It's a fact, I don't think they can be acknowledged by them. I don't think they're acknowledgeable. But that is amazing. Like you change one little variable and all of a sudden the fish exists. They're there all the time. It is so cool and so weird. And I'll be frank, if I didn't look at fishing that way, I would have grown bored a long time ago. I wouldn't do it. That, that's what keeps me interested in it. Is that, is that shit. That shit is what keeps me interested in it. And you're, d- you're a deep it, thinker. That's... I guess. I don't know. I really like fart jokes. I like, I watch a lot of cartoons. I'm, yeah. Um, <laughs> I watch a lot of I watch a lot of really immature shit. You guys should watch this show called Man Seeking Woman. <laughs> this woman has an affair. This, you, no, I'm serious. It's like it's one of the most like sophisticated but really immature shows I've ever seen. Like last episode, there's a woman that has an affair with Santa Claus. Mm. It is hyster- It is hysterical. <laughs> it's hysterical. You'll love it. <laughs> He's real. It's hysterical. I'm telling you, it's hysterical. It's fantastic. It is so smart and so completely stupid at the same time. But it's brilliant. All right. Um, no. Are you still uh, listening to classical music when you fish? Say what? Are you still listening to classical music while you fish? Oh, uh, I really like Rimsky Korsakov. I really like Shostakovich. I really like... Um, some Camille Saison. I like, um, I love Dixieland Jazz. Um, I really like some of the funk. I've been listening to some, like, brass section pseudo-funk bands. Like some of these, some of these nations were like, music's kind of 30 years behind the times, but 30 years ago, music was way better here. Um, I'm into that shit. Um, <laughs> like, funk stuff. Uh, I appreciate opera, and I like listening to it, so it gets kind of old really quick, and I feel like I'm a little bit of a plebeian because of that. Um, I like rap. I do like good rap. What's uh, good rap? 
I love uh, good country. Not like some of the super old country, but like late eighties, early nineties. I love that stuff. When he used to tell a story, Garth Brooks is awesome. Kenny Chesney is awesome. Oh, totally, Kenny Chesney is awesome. Uh, Saw so you around is awesome. Wayne um, the Judd was good on the first album. Uh, <laughs> do, do you like? My big thing, do you like the old washboard and jug? I like bluegrass. Well, no, that it was a joke. It was a southern joke. <laughs> oh yeah, no, dude. You play you do you play this while you're fishing? You talking about? I love bluegrass. You play this while you're fishing, like, though, right? The what? You play this music while you're fishing, correct? Uh, you know, and it sounds weird. It's not even like a weird. I'm cultured thing. It's like I'm cultured. I've got really bad. I've got really bad ADD. I don't know why. I've got really bad ADD, ADHD. If that is actually a real diagnosable thing, I've got it. I um, yeah, I'm Music is kind of like this weird thing that occupies. It takes that part of me and gives it a slinky and says, "Go sit in the corner and shut up." <laughs> like put on your headphones and go play. Fish. Yeah, it's like. It takes that little. It takes that. It takes that little part of me in my brain and gives it a slinky instead of headphones. Go over there and do that. Occupy yourself. You're the Game Boy, and then I'm actually able to concentrate better and listen to music. That's why. That's why. Love Big Bang and Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra live fans John Bates New York is like one of the best albums of all time. Um, enough about me. This show's about you. Yeah. Oh, no, right, right, my bad. Um, long, I, I like uh, Long Sunset Walks Off Short Piers. Oh, <laughs> um, don't we all? Trying to think, like, what else? Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I will say this, one of the cool things about where I'm at is, um, like, Knoxville is 10 minutes away, which is long. Knoxville is not, it's a sprawling city, but it's not a megalopolis. Um, there's a good set of culture there. Um, it's a more liberal town than a conservative town, believe it or not, I'm speaking. Uh, which political affiliations mean nothing to me. But I think that it's cool that, like, there's a symphony over there. And there's an actual really cool Pixie band that I go here sometimes. Uh, I'm actually friends with the guy now. Uh, it's led by a really good, talented young Barry Sax player called the Frog in the Coat, like the Jolly Fuck. Um, there's all kinds of shit here. And then if you want, like, the full uh, Lester's Possum Park country jamboree uh, experience, too, we got, like, Dallenberg and Pitcher Ford and stuff. It's cool. It's got a little bit of everything. Good food. Uh, all kinds of food. They lack a little bit. Uh, some good Italian restaurants. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's just neat. It's really neat, like this whole environment here. I think a lot of people, um, which when I say this, like, if I live in the cave run, like, that is so cool. Like, there's a whole, there's like nothing there but a musky lake. That's really cool because, like, there's nothing there but a musky lake. Like, that's why there's anything there because a musky lake. And they, they took nothing there but a musky lake and they did something with it. And it's this cool culture. Like, I remember, uh, I went to Cameron when I was a kid with my dad one time. We went fishing me and one of my high school boys made trip. Then sucked. We got like one fish in two days. It sucked. It was terrible. But um, I remember being a kid there and like, you know, God rest his soul, crash moments. Like, the man of the myth. Um, 
it like blew my mind to like go into a town and uh, like walk into a musky shop. I had never met any musky shop. And this was me. Like, and immediately you are enveloped by this whole ambiance of this culture. It's almost yeah. kind of, it's almost kind of a contradiction in terms. Like, Southern muskies, like, what, like, that's almost an oxymoron. But they did something with it. Like, yeah. that's so, that's so raven. That's so cool. But, <laughs> it's neat. Yeah, sorry. But, like, that's what's neat about here, though, too, is, like, there really, I don't think there ever can be a musky culture here. Because there's so much other culture that it would never have an identity from which to stand out. You know what I mean? So that's cool, but that's not cool at the same time. Like, it's cool to go visit places like that. Like, I know, uh, I first time I went to Haywood was this past summer. That was wacky, dude. Like, these are the places you read about this stuff. And it's Phoenix, and like, how many types of cheese curds do you have at this gas station? Like, (laughs) that is amazing. (laughs) But, um, about like 10 10 different types of cheese curds at a gas station on the right town. Like, this is amazing. (laughs) But, um, and like, there's musky baits at the gas stations. Like, what? <laughs> but I mean, it's just musky, dude. We can't buy this shit here. Then we have it. They gotta like Pony Express it out. Like, Pony this Express. is like musky fishing in Tennessee. Ain't this a geographical oddity? Two weeks from everywhere. Like, that's what it is. Like, it it effectively doesn't exist here except for the fish that are here. Musky fishing kind of doesn't exist here except for the fish that we catch the musky. But it's not a culture. I don't think it ever will be. Um, which is kind of cool. Jump in a little pocket, like up in one leg. But that's really, uh, it's really cool. I like that. I like, I like having uh, my cake and eat it too, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Which we, like, we try to use that as a selling point because it's like, you know, you can go here the, uh, after your, you know, after your glorious day of musky fishing, you can go enjoy the not so simply or the five-time Dolly Parton Award ceremony-winning Hatfield and McCoy Hatfield and McCoy Comedy Dinner Theater Bar with Snurry the Psychic Pig. Like there's actually a <laughs> the um, psychic pig. <laughs> there's like a mind-reading pig at one of the things in Gatlinburg. It's like I don't. I want to go to make fun of it, but I don't know if I want to just spend fifty bucks just to go make fun of it. <laughs> like, what were you thinking about bacon? Like, what are you doing with that? It's like it's good. Like, read my mind. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> thinking I'm... about. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm just I'm a psychic pig. I'm blown away. No, dude, you, know, you can you don't get on the internet and look up. I think it's the Happy Ellen McCoy comedy dinner extravaganza or something stupid. But like, they, that's one of their headliners. Is like. Babe, the psychic, the mind-reading pig. And what, what is this pig about, supposed to do? I don't know. I want to go there and think about bacon and give him a heart attack. <laughs> but, like... Ruin a business. But, I mean... But, I mean, that's, it's, it's just so eclectic here. It is so eclectic here. Um, but we try to, you know, for what it's worth, we try to use that as a selling point. Like, you know, you're, uh, you can go musky fish, but your wife spends your life savings at the outlet malls. Um... <laughs> I mean, but I mean, there's everything. Like, it's really cool. Like, I guess what I was saying is, like, it's really neat to have places like K-Run 
in in the northern lakes and stuff where it's like this is like musky world this is musky though um this is the culture this is what literally this is built around um here it's like the muskies are an afterthought it's kind of cool because they're like a, you know but it's yeah. neat in the fact that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's neat because yeah. there's so much to flip and do. I mean, there is so much to flip and do. And the kids can go, uh, like, go ride go karts all day. Or if you really like cool stuff, there's an incredible music scene in Knoxville. Do they have um, any bowling alleys? Art? Yeah, there's art galleries. I'm friends with a guy that's a, like a, he's a jazz saxophone player. Um, his name is David Eckman, and I'm pretty good friends with him. I just like met him in town one night and talked to him. I go see him every now and then when he plays gigs. But like, I've seen him play like a soul band. I've seen him play like a ridiculous rock band. I've seen him like do all. I mean, it's cool. I mean, there are of course like you know regular home home drum shit, but like there's some really cool stuff here. Like, it's nice that you can take people and be like. We're going to go fish this really cool hidden gem of Muskie Lake where half of it's owned by the Department of Energy, so people aren't even supposed to be on the bank to take a piss. And there's pine trees and eagles, and you might see a bear. I mean, there's all this cool stuff. Um, and a nuclear reactor with a bear next to it. But, like, <laughs> a bear. I mean, it's like, it's really cool, but, like, <laughs> but then like you have people ask and you're like well like what else is it to do around here it's like everything like what do you want what do you want to eat what do you want to do like you can literally like if there is a selling point for musky fishing here in the winter is ta-da no such thing as ice no such thing as ice big fish yeah. and like this is a place like you can take the whole family here, and they can go do something while you musky fish. And you can say, scamper along, go bother your mom. You know, like, go to Dollywood, right? The teacups. But, um... The teacups. This is, like, a little joke there. Um, no, I, I liked it. I enjoyed like, it. it. It's a, yeah, Dolly Parton. Yes. But, um, like the Disney teacups, but they're poops. Um, yes. But what's funny is, is like, it is, it is, like, everything is. Like, we, we try to tell people that. Like, you can literally make this into a vacation. Like, not just a musky fishing vacation. You can bring your family down here, and there's going to be no shortage of things right here. It's like, you cannot spit and hit a nature trail. There's waterfalls. There's everything under the sun. Are there bears? Natural, there what? Are there bears down there? <laughs> and a bear... We got your, we got your goddamn bears, too. <laughs> <laughs> we got your goddamn bears, too. What kind do you want? Actually, only wait I want a polar life. bear. Yeah. Nah, maybe it's a zoo. I think they want it's a zoo. I think he's kind of like, I think he's like a bipolar bear. I think he's depressed because he missed his home. But, um, <laughs> but we got a, we got a hockey team. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff here. It is really neat. I am for anyone to come and see the city and then if they want to go musky fishing with us hey more power to you no they can find you at tvma.com no 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 they cannot find us at tvma.com because somebody probably bought that already and made a fetish site but 
They can find us at www.tennesseevalleymuskyauthority.com. Now, how do you and spell that? that? <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you spell we got time. On my truck. Um, <laughs> you are a... Um, no, dude, it's uh, Tennessee Valley, and then the only catch is we spell musky in USA. T-N-N-E-S-S-E-E-V-A-L-L-E-Y-M-U-S-K-I-E-Authority. You got to do it slower. Yeah, I only got the first the, the first three and then, right. and then the middle right. four. You get musky spelled right now. H-T-T-P. Backslash. Jesus, no. Okay, go all the way back to the hearing. Bring it back to the top. <laughs> I don't even know what comes first, the backslash or the semicolon or the colon. I don't even know. I'll just let Google tell me. I guess the colon always comes last in base. Um, yeah, um, it's Tennessee Valley. Must be M-U-S-K-E-I. I-E. God dang it. M-U-S-K. <laughs> Wait, do I do I put musky down twice like you're spelling it? Yeah, like pcmatic.com. What's pcmatic.com? Oh, pcmatic.com is like the thing that helps you with your PC. Well, that's pcmatic.com. I hate that commercial. They say it like 27 times on your commercial. It's a Tennessee. So you remember pcmatic.com or pcmatic. <laughs> I hate. I, I hate. I hate. Plugging everything. They're trying to sell me something, and I'm like, stop it. The Hardy Unbuttoning your shirt, I'm like, no, I'm never eating Hardy's because you just tried to manipulate my. You just tried to manipulate my outside of my libido, and it's not working. It's you're going not to working. you're going to Taco Bell instead at 2 a.m. for three crunch wraps. Yeah, well, they don't. I don't see any chips dripping down for Taco Bell. I don't need it. Yeah, the product's There's good enough. No, they're, they're only doing that to go to the bathroom. Ooh. There's <laughs> nothing more seductive than going there and getting crunch wraps supreme. And ordering sour cream, even though you don't want it on it, just so you can seductively peel back that foot to you. <laughs> lick your chops as you can succulently take the sour cream off with your finger and lick it off. That, oh, to me, God. that is that. There you go. There's their next commercial right just, there. Just because you know you're going to have explosive diarrhea in 30 minutes. Yeah, well, you know, at least there's something exploding down that way. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm good. Uh, I stay faded. I stay faded. We're not um, PG thirteen anymore. But um, no. <laughs> what? I, we're not PG thirteen anymore. <coughs> we're TVMA oh, right God. now. We're TVMA. <laughs> See, you couldn't. You like how? What did you expect? What did we, you expect? I, my expectations have been uh, exceeded. They, they I'm have. uncrossing my I'm uncrossing my legs like Sharon Stone right now in the movie, just to like steal the deal. Oh <laughs> yeah, I liked that one when I was little. A good one. And then Newman, and then Newman. In, in, in the church parking lot. And then Newman goes to doing doing doing. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, it's there. Uh, Reverend Stephen Sherman, good man, letting me borrow his parking lot for a podcast. Okay. Godspeed, doing God's work. Godspeed. Um, no, what, what else am I talking about? Oh. We, we've done like almost two hours. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, it's... Oh, I guess, I guess that's right. Really? I mean, I don't know. I'm really liking this. If I'm like pouring y'all to tears, 
Give, give us a good story. Uh, fishing? Your, your big fish story. What happened when you... Your big fish story. What happened when you guys caught that big fish two years ago? The one that was... That, that we were talking about earlier. How'd oh, that well, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, when I say this, I mean, there's really not much of a story to tell. It was like... Yeah. Um, he had a he had a big he had a lot of fish follower. He had like a forty six follower every other day. Um and we tried some really cool wacky stuff that I'd had some results on couldn't all rail. Sun was setting, water's clear, and I was like, you know what? You don't come here for hammer handles. I'm like, we're gonna try and get a big fish, we're gonna try and get a really big fish. And I was like, water's really clear, I don't see a big fish moving up this clear water to like the bank. I was like, so you know what, let's just swing for the fence, control this brake lines, like 18, 25 feet, and uh, we were pumping the rods, and boom. Yep. Actually, she kind of, she didn't really hit it too hard. It's just kind of that, it's weird. I, it's one of the one of the signature strikes, one of the things I have for everyone that mossy fishes. Number one, drop your flipping ego and troll. I get tired of hearing that shit. <laughs> like, oh, don't troll. And then I'm like, well, enjoy not catching fish. It's like, it's not about catching fish, trolling, or casting. It's about catching a fish right now. And I, I agree. I 100% agree. Right now, what do I have to do to catch fish? And I guarantee you, there will never be a time, there will never be a time in your life where you won't not be able to catch fish. You, you, you won't be able to catch fish at some point. Like, in a different day, there are days when we will catch fish. Trolling and casting and jigging and any other gray area in between. Mm-hmm. Because because they do they adapt and it's everywhere. They they throughout the day they move vertically on the x axis or yeah y axis they move they they <laughs> shift they go deep they go shallow they move up they move down they get active and they do this they do that. That's why I don't think patterns. I think. Why did this fish do this right now? Was it active? Was it inactive? What stimulus? Why did it respond to the stimulus? What about the stimulus tells me about what that fish was? How can I react to this? I mean, okay. Uh, I mean, the two fish on them. I mean, and the only reason, I swear to God, the only reason these muscators are like so many people can go and see and be like, oh, okay, I can see this. This happened like this. Number one, the two fish on the show, the one that, like, donkey punched me in the face. Like I got in the face with a fish, and I dropped it in the water. Oh, it's like 44. Those two fish, the big one and the little one we got, the little one we got. I actually got the big one first, and we got the little one second. They were about five minutes apart. We had a pseudo-activity period. Even in that pseudo-activity period, that big fish was not very active. We had already had a couple of larger things thrown at it. It responded to the pre-extract Um, But immediately, we're going down the shoreline, and I see the situation change. Like, the way most mosquito fish are thinking, it's like, holy hell, I just got a giant fish on a little bitty crankbait. Well, that must be the pattern. I'm going to do this the whole rest of the day. Nope. Why? Because the situation changes. The environment changes. Everything changes. Yes. You have to analyze the situation at hand with the tools that baits are. I, I, I call it, it's like, the water is your canvas, and here's your palette with your little brushes and your colors. And all the baits are different brushes and different 
coarseness and length and all these things. And I know everybody's like, he's such a fruit kick. I'm like, I don't really care. This makes sense. <laughs> makes a lot more sense than a lot of shit I hear. Makes ten yeah. times more sense than a lot of shit that I have to deal with. But, literally, like, you have to think about it. Like, every time you're putting anything in the water, you're literally making lateral line brush strokes. Because that's how they track shit. That's how they interpret the world. I know, uh, and it's funny that, like, the guy, the guy named Chad Hoover, that is a kayak bass fisherman, dude, he owns the hook one thing. And it's funny that, like, I'm the comic book geek. Yep. Um, guilty as charged. But, um, being as terrible as the Ben Affleck Daredevil Abomination was, the best way I can equate for the way it's fish, interpret the underwater environment, is as such. You guys ever seen the movie Daredevil? I have not. I turned it okay. off. Daredevil, uh, he's a lawyer, he's blind. So oh. his other senses overcompensate for overcompensate for his life of sight. So he uses sound a lot like bats use echolocation. That's how they see things. So his hearing is so acute, he sees things with sound. So he's getting ready to get on with Jennifer Garner, but he's never actually seen her. So to be all romantic and shit, he's like, well, I want to see what you look like. She's like, what do you mean? So it's raining outside. Takes her outside in the rain, and you can hear the raindrops hit her face. And, of course, this is a little bit of an elaboration. Well, this sounds and terrible. It's, but so we, when, he sees the, when he hears the raindrops hit her face, his brain interprets that as a solar image. Oh, my God. And, and then you can see what she looks like. Of course, it's all CGI. So, but given the differences between water and air and all that stuff, the best way I can interpret <laughs> that that fish perceives their world is the vibrations and the wakes. Like, I don't think they follow wakes. I think they follow wakes. So Ben, so Ben, so Ben Affleck are the muskies, and Jennifer Garner is the bait. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm never, I, I'm, go I'm never gonna get that go image out of my head now. That scene in that movie sounds just terrible. Oh my god! Could you imagine watching that? Did you? Uh, oh, god! That's insane. Vance is holding. He 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 has. His palm over his eyes, and he's shaking his head. I, I but my my one buddy is is into a lot of what terrible movies. My my one what buddy's into a lot of terrible movies, and he makes me like watch stuff like this. So no, like just go on YouTube and like do Ben Affleck Daredevil. Yeah. Garner brain. Oh. Do that, but yeah. it'll be. But like, I don't think they ever follow bait. I think they're following wakes, and sometimes they follow a wake right behind the bait. And sometimes I've seen it happen where it happened with uh, my buddy Matt Gunkel. I was uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois. Sometimes I go home to see my family, and I'll go hang out with Matt. One time we went to Kincaid to eat fish, and we had a fish like probably decent. You know, it was like a for Kincaid, it was really a fish. I think he said it was about forty-five. He got a better look at it than me. But the fish literally swam off to the boat after nothing. There was no bait line. Like we were fishing, we were fishing ahead of it. The fish literally swam to the boat. I've seen it happen out here too. Swim to the boat, stop, swim away. Hmm. What the hell? I was telling that. I was like, dude, think about it. I was like, we made wakes from the shoreline 10, 15 casts ago down there in the stillwater environment. Like, a lot of the lines are so cute. Uh, they found out in the study, they found out that they can track a bluegill by its wake five minutes after it left the wake. Hmm. They can track a bluegill back to the source of the wake five minutes after it left the wake in the stillwater. Wow. It's like they're it's like their bloodhound. 
they can track. It's so cute. They can track. They can track. So how many fish do we have following things back to the general vicinity of our boat when we last made a figure eight and retreat? And we watched that fish literally swim up. In the middle of two of our casts, stopped the boat, and then swim off. Because he was following the wake of the bait that stopped in a boat. Hmm. And there was nothing there. He was like, oh, well. Because I'm, I'm stupid. I'll go swim back now. Bye. But, like, that, <laughs> it's stuff like that, that that makes it so cool. But, yeah. Like, picking different paintbrushes to complement the canvas that upon which you're painting. It's a, I mean, it's not too far-fetched to look at the aquatic world. It's like a living, it's a living, breathing canvas. Love it. Three dimensional canvas. It is so cool. Love it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I'll never get. I'll never get asked to do anything publicly again. But I had fun. No. This is awesome. <laughs> no. We're, oh, dude. We're, we're, we're gonna have this, you on again. Yeah. This is. I just. I. I totally went in with uh, the Harry Carey mentality. So there you go. Harry <laughs> Carey. But uh, no. Not, 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 not that Harry Carey. Like, <laughs> like SNL. Like, Harry Carey. Like the Cubs brought you. You know what? No, not that one. I, I, I really like the Harry Carey on Saturday Night Live. Short ribs, the moon, that guy. Oh, dude. Mouth of sun. I yeah. love that. That's <laughs> that's the... Yeah, nice. Nicely done. If you were a hot dog, yeah. would you eat yourself? Yeah, oh, yeah. my God, yeah. <laughs> no, you're a hot dog. <laughs> you, guys, you guys, you're losing me here. I'm not too old <laughs> No, you it's did the Harry Carey so perfect. It's a it's a Will Ferrell skit where he's, he's he's portraying Harry Carey, but he's hosting a show called Space Camp for the Frontier, which is like the last thing you'd ever expect Harry Carey to do. You know, like like Harry Carey, Harry Carey from the Cubs. You're talking, yeah, Harry yes. Carey from the okay. Cubs. And then he's yeah. like interviewing an astrophysicist, and he's like asking him to tell his question. Yeah. Because he's Harry Carey yeah. and he's just turned out to be very calm and he has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's like. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be broadcasting yeah. from the surface of the sun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. like, what's your favorite planet? Rise the sun. We got to read the sun. Rise. You know what? <laughs> no, we got any more. We got any more. Uh, any more questions or you know. <laughs> I wish I wish I would have known you did this Harry Carey impression spot on. I would have had you do half the podcast in it. I can do I can actually it's a little I can I can do a few impressions. <laughs> I was actually planning on ending with Walter Cronkite. <laughs> I'm not so I was gonna do that for you guys, but you know, you just totally ruined it. <laughs> Incredible. All right, man. I bet that was a good that was a good. Uh, that was, was a good time. That was great. Uh, hit your plugs up. One more time. Nope. Corey. Wait, what's going on? What? Well, hit your plugs. My club. Pl- oh oh my gosh! Your plugs. Your plugs. Oh the, my plugs. The authority. Oh my yeah, I know. I've had them in all this time. Um. Oh, London Lurch. My boy, um, St. Croix Rod, Musky Innovations, um, Mountain Dew Mystic Berry Splash, Zagnut Candy Bars. <laughs> I freaking love the Zagnut Candy Bars. They are fantastic. I'm really helping these people like you. Nice. Hot Topic t shirt. 
Um, top topic T-shirts. As far as, as far as fishing goes, um, <laughs> Stark Industries. Um, Stark Industries. Um, you watch a lot of movies and comics. Yeah, too much, too much. Um, no, I think the only fishing things I mentioned are <laughs> London Lures, Musk Innovations, and Sanctuary Rods. And uh, man, if I'm missing anything, I feel like a dick. What do you think? Um, yeah. Check out your show on Muskie Hunter television. Yes, 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 yes. yes. See, see, I was never, pl- I never had an intention to plug it. I was just using yeah. it as a reference point. But no, we uh, filmed with Muskie Hunter last week. It is episode five, early season secrets. Uh, <laughs> secrets. Which is uh, available for download uh, on the. Uh, Apple, I don't know. It's available for download on Musky Hunter, Catalog, things. Um, and then it was on FWFN and Comcast and Fox Sports. I don't know when it's repeating. Um, uh, I think that's about it. Tennessee Valley Musky Authority. Musky with an M-U-S-K-I-D. Yep. There you go. Nice. M-U-S. K I E. See you real soon. Um, so that's it. <laughs> that's it. I'm gonna hit up my plugs. We're gonna end this, and uh, we're we're gonna definitely have you on again. Amazing. Because it was it was a trip. Amazing. Uh, Fatty Z Musky products. Uh, find us uh, fattyzmusky.com. Fatty Z Musky on Facebook. Like us. Uh, we have Todd Young, mcfishingguides.com, and Todd Young on Facebook. Find him, search him out, hold the muskie, friend request, get everything caught up there. You can also like Muddy Creek Fishing Guides on Facebook, but do the Todd Young. It's more active. So, Todd, anything else? We're gonna be, you're, yeah, do, we're, you're doing the we're Southern talking. Muskie Fest. We forgot that. Southern Muskie we'll Fest. There was, was a tree, guys. Was a, I made it. There's a hoot. <laughs> We're right. in Tennessee, for, for straight from Tennessee, it was a hoot and annie. It was a hoot and annie. Hoot and annie. <laughs> Perfect. Um, until, so next- <laughs> until next time, good luck fishing.